There was once this guy, and every Sunday for the altar call, he would come up and say the same thing. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Next Sunday, back at the altar. Lord, take these cobwebs out of my life. Again, Lord, take these cobwebs out of my life. Obviously, cobwebs must be symbolism for like, like just, you know, things, sin, whatever the case may be, right? The pastor heard this prayer more times than he could bear to hear because he heard it every Sunday. Finally, the man, finally this Sunday, this last Sunday, the man uttered the, the prayer, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. And the pastor responded with a prayer of his own. And he yelled out, Lord, don't take the cobwebs out. Just kill the darn spider. (laughs) Find a spider in your heart and kill it. Turn away from your besetting sin that always trips you up. Real mourning over sin leads to real changes in our lives. And that is what repentance is. Deep in the pages of the Old Testament, there's a verse that, um, there's a phrase, a verse that causes a lot of confusion in a lot of Bible readers in the beginning, right? For, for many years, for many ages, people, sometimes they read this and, they, and it caused a little bit of confusion because it presents a type of emotional mystery. Ecclesiastics 7, the first part of verse 2 says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, when you hear that, like, automatically you say, well, I don't really know about that, Pastor. I don't really know if it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a party. I don't really know if it's, if it's better to go to a place of mourning, a wake, a funeral, a burial. I mean, because those, those places, that's not a pleasant experience, right? It's not pleasant to have to go to a funeral, to a, 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 a burial ceremony. It's not pleasant. But when you compare it to a party and you compare it to a feast, to a banquet, you know, it's all of a sudden like um, it's definitely better to go to a party than to go to a funeral. I mean, right? Right? It's, it's naturally. That's what we think. Naturally, when you have a choice, go to a party, go to a funeral, probably going to go to the party if you can choose, Right? The text says that the funeral is better than the feast. The funeral. Some say, some would say, some would say that this is because this passage is found in Ecclesiastics, and then they'll go and say that, oh, this book is just filled with difficult verses to really understand. You know, it's, it's, it's um, they're not always understandable at at face value, and so people will try to justify or make re- uh, excuses of why these words are hard. But the reality is that 
they're hard because these words go against, they go opposed to our natural sensibilities. And so does the words that Christ shares in the text today that we're going to be going over. Guys, this is week three of our Blessed Are The series as we're going through the Beatitudes that Jesus preached on um, at the Sermon on the Mount. We are been going one by one, and this is just number two, so this is going to take us through the whole summer. Amen? All right. All right. Last week, we talked about blessed are those who, uh, blessed are poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom. Through our lesson, we'll see this morning about the blessedness of mourning, right? But we will also see that not all mourning is blessed. Man, we're all going to learn today. The mourning to which Christ refers carries a special blessing indeed. Let's turn our, to our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if I look out into the sanctuary this morning, everyone here with the exception of Malachi back there, right, and, and Genesis right there, have all experienced mourning in some form. We've all experienced mourning or grief in some form, right? Tremendous grief. In my time in ministry, I've had the unfortunate opportunity to see many people grieve, to see people lose loved ones, and then to, 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 to learn in, 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 in as I, to learn how to be there, how to, how to comfort and how to lead through times like that. I've accompanied the death of more than a few people, both believers and unbelievers. And I've experienced the response of family and friends as they spent their final moments with their loved one. It's one of the hardest tasks that come with this assignment. It's one of the hardest. You know, weddings are great because there's a party. You marry somebody and there's a party. There's lots of food and music. You know, baptisms are great. We have a picnic. But people... People pass away, and that's the reality of life, and that's hard, and it's one of the hardest tasks that come with this. Grief and mourning are terrible, difficult realities that we face in life. There's a quote that says, mourning is hateful and irksome to poor human nature. From suffering and sadness, our spirits instinctively shrink. This is so true because no one enjoys mourning and grief. No one enjoys it. No one's looking forward to, ooh, I can't wait till I feel horrible because I've lost someone that I loved. Unless, you're some, unless you have some, something really wrong with you. 
but no one is looking forward to the moment when they can, when they're like, when they are broken and destroyed because someone is no longer with them. Given the opportunity, most of us would definitely skip the grief and mourning if we had a chance. If there was a button that we can press that probably would, would, would relieve us of the pain of the experience, we would probably press it so we wouldn't have to go through it. This quote goes on to say that it's natural for us to seek the society of the joy, cheerful and joyous. The verse now, 5-4 that we just read, before us presents an anomaly to the regenerate, to the unregenerate. It, yet it is sweet music to the ears of God's elect. If blessed, why do they mourn? If they mourn, how can they be blessed? Only the child of God has the key to this paradox. For happy are they whose sorrow is at complete variance with the world's logic. Men have, in all places and in all ages, deemed the prosperous to be the happy ones. But Christ pronounces blessed those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn. Just in case, just in case we miss the power of the mourning that Jesus is referring to in this verse, I want to consider um, the, the word used, the original word used for mourning here. Uh, it, it's called uh, penthusis in Greek, penthusis. And it's the strongest word for which is used for mourning in the Greek language. The strongest word. It is the word that is used for mourning for the dead, for the passionate lament. When someone, you know, the, the ugly cry, you know, like, ah, like a real, real, like, 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 like the one that you can't breathe, like the, do you know what I mean? For someone who was loved, this is the same word that was used in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 37, verse 34, when it's used to describe Jacob's grief when he thought that his beloved son Joseph was dead. It's the same word, same word. So this is not just a simple sadness. This is not just like a, oh, you know, so sad that this happened. No, this is a, a, a deep and true and profound grief that Jesus is talking about as he uses that word in this verse. But this is the morning in which Jesus calls blessed. Yet we need to understand that even though Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who mourn, not all mourning is blessed because it's not, it, it doesn't, he, We'll talk about it. Not all mourning is blessed because we're going to talk about which is and what's not. What did Christ mean when he told this verse? There's a quote that says, uh, it's obvious that not every species of mourning, which is here referred to. There are thousands of mourners in the world today who do not come within the scope of our text. Remember last week in the same way that Jesus had a specific type of poorness? 
We weren't talking about poor like bank poor, like you have 50 cents in your bank account poor. He was talking about poor in spirit. And, and you can, you know, we talked about that last week. You can look at that if you haven't. And so just like he was talking about poor in spirit instead of poor financially, he had a specific type of mourning in mind when he said, blessed are those who mourn. Let's take a look. The first one that is a first type of mourning that is not blessed is the sorrow of unbelief. When there's mourning because of unbelief. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world, this grief of the world produces death. We already see that according to the scripture, we can't say the sorrow of this world, that grief or mourning of this world will be blessed because the scripture tells us that it produces death. Now, what is the worldly grief that the apostle Paul is referring to? The worldly grief is a natural consequence to unbelief. Okay, those who reject God also reject the true meaning of their own existence. I mean, think about it. If you are rejecting God, then you are also rejecting why you are here in the first place. We were created to magnify God. We were created to glorify him. We were created to worship him. And if we reject him, then we don't do anything that we were created to do. We were created in his image. And when we deny, when we deny that for what we were created for, there's this natural worldly grief which accompanies it. You know, um, some people might say like, well, you know what? I know this atheist and he seems happy all the time. You know, he's happy all the time. (laughs) He seems happy. He seems satisfied. The Bible says that these people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They live their entire lives in denial, in denial of what I believe deep down inside they know is, is, is real. That God is a creator. And that they ultimately are responsible to him. (laughs) This is why I believe that (laughs) atheists act so religious. They don't believe in religion, but they act so religious. Let me tell you, like like they hold signs, they wear t-shirts, they attend rallies, they they, uh, make themselves part of atheist associations. I mean, this is a big deal across the world. If you, if you research this, you'll see that there are some serious atheist associations that, like, meet frequently. They, like, I mean, they are so religious with their anti-religion lifestyle that it's baffling. It's, it's, it doesn't even make sense. It's hypocritical almost. They have a need to have something outwardly that helps suppress the inward knowledge of the truth. 
Because the thing is, God has already placed it there when he created them. God has placed that desire for truth in us from creation. So you can deny God, but something inside of you still wants truth. This type of sorrow, the sorrow of unbelief, often leads to despair. And sometimes people will even choose to end their life because of this despair, because of this sorrow. We, uh, we look at uh, the example of Judas. Judas, he experienced a sorrow, a mourning, but it wasn't the blessed mourning that Jesus is referring to. Judas had a worldly grief, the grief of unbelief and guilt, which ultimately led to his own death. There is no blessing in the sorrow of unbelief. There is also no blessing in hypocritical sorrow of the one that gets caught and rebuked. When a person gets caught in the act of sin, right? He cries the crocodile tears. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. But the tears are often the result of having been caught rather than the reality of what he's actually done or she has actually done. We look at Cain, right? The first murderer in the Bible, in, in the world. When, when caught by God, was he mourning his brother? Was he mourning his brother? No, he was mourning for himself. The verse says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Me, 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 me. He, he, he wasn't even thinking about what he had actually done. He's thinking about what he's experiencing. You see, it's, it's not like, oh, my goodness, I should not have done that. How could I have hurt my brother? How could I have done this? How could I? No, no, none of that was happening. Like, oh, why well, I got to go through this now? You just killed your brother. Do you, do you understand? Do you understand the, the difference here? The same thing is seen today when we see politicians and influencers and, and very important men and women of society when they have all of a sudden immoral failures or when they have when they're caught in, in scandals and things like that. What's the first thing they do? They go before the public. <laughs> I just want to apologize to all my friends and family and and constituents, my actions were not good, blah, 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 blah. The mourning is over their sin being exposed. Their grief, their sorrow is not because of what they've actually done, but because you found out about it. And now... You know, that, that's, it's, it's, it, there's this grief that comes with that. That type of mourning, that type of sorrow, that type of grief is not blessed. The third is a pretend sorrow to show others. Matthew 6, 16 says, More, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, 
for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Or surely I say to you, they have their reward. All right. In Jesus' day, there were men that uh, would make themselves look super distraught, right? From fasting and sadness before God when reality was all a show. It was all a show. Um, You know, walking around like, oh my goodness. And like, oh, you. Yo, Juan, you okay? Yes, it's just I haven't eaten in four days because I'm fasting. <laughs> and I want God to do what he wants, you know, what it, something, something strong in me. And, and it's just that I haven't eaten anything in four days because I'm fasting because I want God to. To make any outward adjustments. So that anyone can take notice that you are fasting is wrong. Now, I know that sometimes we, we've taken it a little to the extreme where people offer you food and you're like, no, it's okay, I'm good. But then they keep asking, they keep, they keep doing it, they keep doing it, and eventually like, oh, I'm fasting, I didn't want to say I'm fasting. Well, you know, sometimes you have to let people know, so they just leave you alone. Oh, you should have just told me. I'm sorry. It's okay. In that, in that situation, it's okay. Obviously, they didn't think anything was wrong with you because they're just offering you something to eat, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong to let someone know that you're fasting so therefore they won't offer you any food. You can do that because what you're doing is you're eliminating the temptation, all right? That's okay. But to walk around and carry yourself like... <sighs> So that, so that Omar could be like, Pastor, are you all right? What's wrong with you, Pastor? Oh, it's just that I haven't eaten in seven days because I'm praying and fasting for you heathens. <laughs> but not you, it's not you, it's not you. Somebody else, somebody else. <laughs> That's incorrect. Do you know there are some countries that people hire um, Joronas, you know what that is? Like uh, ladies that cry. So in a funeral, they would hire a bunch of ladies and they would all come and hang out in the corner and they would just cry and cry and cry and cry the entire service. But do you think they care about that person? They're getting paid. They're getting paid. This again, this type of sorrow, this grief, this pretend grief is not a sorrow, it's not grief that is blessed by God because it's, it's, it's pretending and it's not real. The fourth one is common mourning. Common mourning. All people, believers, unbelievers, Everyone will mourn, right? We all face illness. We all face death, economic distress, pain, and suffering. We all go through that. We all will or have or we know someone that goes through this. This affects us all. It's one of the things that we all got in common. doesn't matter if you're young, old, rich, 
poor, female, male, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't race, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Chinese, Indian, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It affects us all. We have all this in common, and we all experience times of mourning. These types of, mourn, this, this, these types of mourning is it's common mourning, right? As difficult as it is, this is not the type of mourning that Jesus is referring to in the Scripture. And you know what? It's an eye-opener because so many of us, including myself, including myself, will use this in a funeral or we use it, you know, when, when someone has lost someone. And because and and, it sounds, you know, hey, blessed are those that mourn, right? For they should be comforted. But Jesus isn't talking about losing somebody. He's not talking about that. So we already see all the types of mourning that we can experience, and all of those are the mournings that are not blessed. And just like poorness in the first beatitude, Jesus was regarding to the Spirit. So why would he switch it up right after in the second second beatitude? Jesus is still referring to the Spirit as he's teaching us in these Beatitudes, right? And so this Beatitudes is not focused on a physical mourning, but more so a spiritual sorrow, a spiritual mourning. And we want to consider three types of mourning which are blessed, which are blessed. The first one is mourning over our own sinful condition, okay? This is the mourning that actually happens in the beginning of the Christian life. Think about it. What's the beginning of the Christian life? When you realize that you are a horrible sinner and that you need a, Lord, uh, a Savior. You need, you need Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You're realizing at this moment, you're realizing at this moment that that your simple condition is the, wrong, is the wrong condition to be living in, and you want to change your lifestyle. You want to change your life. This is the morning that we should be faced with when we come to the realization that we have offended our Creator. Have, has anybody ever felt like they've offended Jesus? Because if we don't feel this way, then, then, then we're not mourning over our sinful condition. I mean, to understand, to know that God loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son to get nailed on the cross, to suffer, to, to be tortured, to die on the cross for our sins because we're sinful people. But he loved us that much. But he gave us an opportunity through his son's sacrifice to escape death. And then we live our lives knowing that he did all that and we fall short and we sin and we do anything, but some people are not bothered by it. And that's, that's, that's a serious, dangerous place to be. We should be mourning over our spiritual condition, meaning like when, like when, I, when, when I, let's say I kick this speaker which is, let's say it's a, it is a sin. Don't kick the speaker. <laughs> I kick the speaker. At this moment, 
It should, it should bother me almost instantly that I have done something that my creator is now offended by. It should bother me. It should bring me sorrow. It should bring me grief. It should, it, should, it should really disturb me. You know how it is. Some of us have been disturbed by things in life that it just, it almost, it almost doesn't let us think about things. Like we're trying to move on. We're trying to get our work done, but, but yet it's still in the back of our mind because it's just, it's just bothering us so much. We're disturbed by it. When we sin, we should be so disturbed by what we have done because we have offended our creator. And that being disturbed, that sorrow, that grief, that mourning is actually blessed. This is the broken and contrite heart of the one whose spirit is broken over having been condemned as guilty before the judge of the universe. Let's talk about the woman who came to Jesus in the home of the Pharisee. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 38. Then one Pharisee asked him, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house. He sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. My daughter got this new doll. My wife bought her this doll. This is like freaky. It's a crybaby, but it cries like tears, right? And last night, my daughter, we were, we were like, oh, we were, I was, was going over this with my wife. And in the background, I hear, look how much she cried. She had like a little bowl, which she had collected all the tears. Like just, and it was like a lot. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I had like to pour it in the sink. But you know what? It reminded me as I was going through this, I was like, man, can you imagine the amount of tears from this woman that the tears permitted her to be able to wash his feet? She washed it with her tears. And wiped them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Here is a picture of a blessed mourner. This is a picture of a mourner who's blessed. She knows that her life has been marred by, she knows she's not uh, an exemplary, you know, uh, model figure for people to follow. She knows she's done wrong. She's known she's lived a lifestyle that is, is, is pretty bad. She's got a reputation and we know that she's got a reputation because the second she walked in there, the Pharisees already knew who she was. I wonder how they knew who she was. <laughs> they already knew all about her. And because they knew how horrible of a woman she was, because they already knew of her, of her dark past or present or whatever she was going through, they even rebuked Jesus for allowing her to touch him. So what did she do? She threw herself at the mercy of the court. You ever see a court case when the person knows they did it? They say, you know, I'm guilty. I did it. I, I murdered the guy. And then, but then they, they go before the court and say, just please give me another chance, please. And they beg for some type of mercy, even though they know what they have done. 
She knows who she is. She knows that she's guilty of all the things that they've said and that they've accused her of, whatever the case may be, but she's throwing herself at the feet of the only one who can save her. She demonstrated a level of spiritual sorrow, right, that is rarely seen today because people are too busy being proud of their accomplishments than to be broken over sin. Think about it. Think about it. We celebrate, what do we celebrate? Oh, I got this new, I got, I, I got this new car, new house. Uh, I got a new promotion. Um, um, I, I just hit 10,000 uh, um, uh, likes on this page and this. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, we, we, we follow all the good things, right? We, and, and we're so focused on all the great things. Hey, I just got this. I just got this. Or I just accomplished this, which is not bad, Right? But the world has us so programmed to, to elevate all these things. Why? Because if we are so focused looking at all of this, you will never be broken about the things that you do wrong. There was a quote from this pastor. He said that this is a very elemental doctrine of the faith, yet it's largely ignored in modern evangelical churches. People are either told to accept Christ with absolutely no preaching of the law or consciousness of sin, or they are told to acknowledge the fact that they are sinners without anything deep or specific, and then to just accept Jesus. Such preaching produces superficial, carnal Christians who have never mourned over their sins. You know, I've sat at tables with pastors before, and we've had conversations, and sometimes, you know, it's, I don't know, sometimes it's, it's, the conversations went something like this, this one time I'm thinking about, like, oh, we had this amazing event, it was awesome, you know, we had 150 salvations that day, and this was great, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing, 150 salvations, that's great, Right? 150 people, that's awesome. Do all 150 know that, like, Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, yeah, I think I mentioned that. Do all 150 understand that, that they're sinners? Oh, yeah, I said we're all sinners. I mean, do they understand that they need a Savior? Like, do they understand that they need Jesus? Like, they need a Savior. Like, like if not, they're going to hell. Like, do you understand this? Um, yeah, yeah, we said that, you know, Jesus is our Savior. <laughs> Do they understand that their way of living was not only breaking God's heart, but it warranted death? Like, like we were breaking his heart every time we sinned. And it should break ours to understand that now. Like, it breaks my heart to know the things that I've done that broke his Oh, well, we didn't really get to that part. We, know, we, we had a time limit. We had three services that day. Okay, so 150 people repeated a prayer. I got you. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not big on numbers, and I guess what, when 150 people actually come to Christ, that's an amazing thing. I'm not big on the numbers, but you know what? I think, I think, I think our God is big on numbers. Better said, he's big on 
number. Because the Bible says that, <laughs> the Bible says that uh, if, when just one comes to the Lord, there's a party in heaven. I, we celebrate one. Each and every one person we celebrate, we clap, we, we, we hug them, we invite them to the family. We don't try, we don't need to try and celebrate the inflated numbers. That's not, think, think about it. Who are you, who are you trying to impress, God? Are you, are you impressing him? God's looking like, like, well, I know you counted 150, but actually just, I think these 10 were serious. Who are we trying to impress? What happens is when we, sh- when we post and announce these numbers, then we're trying to oppress man more than we're impressing God. And there's a problem with that. All right, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. He goes on to say, the same pastor says, mourning over one's sin and depravity is viewed as outmodeled or even unbiblical. The blessedness of mourning has been replaced by the gospel of self-esteem. Sorrowing over sin has been rejected for having your best life now. Bewailing our iniquities has been jettisoned for the laughing revival. I don't know if many people know about that. Or the coffee house service, the rock and roll jam fest. Hey, I'm big on different types of music, hip-hop, all that stuff, you know, because I believe it's different forms of worship and different forms of... But, but this, this cannot replace. This cannot be the replacement, right? Our culture's obsession with entertainment, serving our perceived needs and wants, trying to be happy and having fun all the time has permeated much of modern evangelism. We have the majority of the church, and then we can say more in this Western culture right here in America. We can speak for us. I can't speak for the whole world. But there's a problem where the body of Christ in this country wants to be entertained. They want to be entertained. This past year, um, Easter Sunday, there were some crazy things happening in some churches. Crazy things. I'm talking about like tens of thousands of dollars. I think one church was $200,000 spent on a production that they did on a Sunday service. I'm not going to go into names or anything like that. It was just disturbing. It was disturbing. But what happened was there was a need to do it because they wanted to entertain the people. What happens is this. What what they tell you, don't feed the animals because when you feed the animals, what happens? They keep coming back. So what happens is you entertain them a little bit. They come back. But what they need now, they need more. And then they come back again and they need more. And then one Sunday, you only preach out of the Bible and they say, wait a minute, how is this entertaining me? How am I being entertained? Are you not entertained? (laughs) Think about it. 
I'm confident in saying this, and people might not like it, but if you've never mourned over your sins, do you really know Christ? If you've never really mourned over your sins, do you know Christ? Dad, Pastor, how you questioning my salvation? How you questioning my conversion? I'm not. I'm not questioning your salvation or conversion. I'm just announcing the reality that the converted, those that accept, those that truly uh, give themselves to, to Christ, those that truly understand that they need a Savior, have first experienced this mourning of their own sin. And because of that, there was a realization that they needed a Savior. So we understand that blessed mourning is first sorrow over our own sinful condition. Another one is mourning over the sins of others. We're wrapping this up. Mourning over the sins of others. When we find that a fellow believer has engaged in a specific sin, what's our first response? So Manny just did something really bad. The first response, unfortunately, sometimes is condemnation. Quick, 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 quick to bring condemnation to people when you find out they do something wrong, which is unfortunate. Because instead of condemnation, a condemnation, my heart should break that Manny, that, that happened with Manny. Like my heart should be broken. It should break for him. This is why, <laughs> this is why church discipline is kind of hard to carry out in both ways. Let me, let me give you both sides to it. Let me give you both sides to it. Some people are so focused on removing people from the church. I know, I know a pastor that he had a married couple in his church, and he was closer with one than the other, and they had a, a marital um, uh, fallout where there was adultery and things like that, and he just met with the couple and told the one that he wasn't really close with to just leave. That was how he solved this. Sometimes the church is so quick to just tell people to leave. And a lot of it is because sometimes, sometimes uh, we don't want, want to deal with it, right? Some people don't want to deal with something, so it's quicker to just tell them to leave. But on the other end to it, on the other end to it, uh, the, on the flip side, people these days don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be disciplined. Disciplined? In church? What are you talking about? Well, there was a time. Right? There was a time. Let's say, let's say Marky Jr. is our lead singer. And Marky Jr. was stealing cable all over North Philadelphia. And it came out and everyone found out about it. Well, I would meet with him and say, hey, Marky, listen, you know what you were doing was wrong. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I realized it. Okay. Are you going to keep doing it? No, no. I'm, 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 I ask God, forgive me. I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay. Okay, listen. For the next two months, we're not going to have you sing on Sundays. What? Oh, my God. But you know I love to sing. Yeah, I, I know. I know, but you need, you need to take two months to work on rebuilding your spirit, your relationship with Christ. I'm using this funny example 
But if you use a more serious one, let's say adultery within a marriage, that doesn't happen overnight. So if we're serving God and all of a sudden a marriage or a person falls into adultery, it was a slow fade. It was a process. There was a lack of spiritual dedication within their walk. And so what happens is there's a decline in their spirituality. We may not be seeing it while they're up here singing, right? We're not seeing it. But then what happens is we see the end result. And so as a pastor, I have to say, okay, yes, God forgives you. Yes, there's repentance. Yes, we're going to work on restoration. Yes, we're going to get past this. But spiritually, you're down here because this, this, this whole situation is a result of your spirituality right now. So we need to rebuild your relationship. You need to dedicate yourself. You need to invest in rebuilding this once again. So take two months. Let's not touch the microphone for a while. Let's not lead a class. Let's not do this. Let's not, let's not even you know, clean the Let's just, just focus on you. Come to service. Go to Bible study. Come to prayer. And let's build you up again. You have then the decision to be like, thank you. Thank you for the help. Thank you for love. I'm going to do it as we all hold each other accountable. Or you can do what many people in these days do. They say, okay, pastor, and then next Sunday, never see them again. And then they go to another church, and they're still at the same spiritual level because they have failed to realize that they need to go back to maybe where they once was because they think that they're okay. Maybe I just overreacted until... If that pastor there holds their people accountable, he's going to end up saying the same thing. And then they're going to leave again. And they're going to leave again. And they're never going to grow and mature in Christ. We should be mourning over sins of other people. How we, how we get there? All right. <laughs> we, should, <laughs> we, should want to this, <laughs> we should want to restore a person. Like, this is what we should want, for people to be restored, right? But we need to mourn for them first. Second, listen, listen, we must care enough for them to understand the weight of what they've done. Like, if I care about you, if I care about you, and you fall short, it's going to bother me. It's going to hurt me because it hurts me because now I know where you are at and how, how that's not good for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 21 says, Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. Paul is saying that I'm going to I'm, I'm be mourning over those who refuse to repent. We must weep over the sins of our brethren and not pray for judgment. We don't need to pray for judgment, but pray for restoration. Because the word says that Jesus wants none to perish. This is not limited to just the believers. You know, we, we got to weep for the unbelievers too, for those that don't know God. I mean, you know that if they don't know God, we already know where they are heading. So that should really bother you, right? A church that mourns for unbelievers is a church that is spreading the gospel. 
Like, are we mourning for those that are unbelievers? Are we spreading the gospel? Are we telling people about Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools, etc.? That's why Saturday is so important. That's why this Saturday is so important. Because some of us haven't been doing it. And some of us maybe don't know how to do it. But this Saturday can be the beginning of learning how to do it. I weep for our country, right? And, and, and not just because we're living in times that we want to forsake a lot of these, uh, our founding documents, our constitution, things that were set to maintain order in our country that, and those times have moral standing, they have moral value. But with the agendas today, they want to take, pick, and, and remove pieces because what happened, why do they have to remove something? Because it doesn't allow for their value or for their ideology. Well, the Constitution was based on a moral, on, on, a, on a very moral um, standing. So when you have to take things out of something moral to allow something to happen, that something to happen is most likely an immoral uh, or contradic- uh, contradicting um, thing. All right, all right, let's, let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. Mourning for the persecuted. Mourning for the persecuted. Persecution is a dominant theme in the Beatitudes, and we see that probably going to be going to see it mainly toward the end. And um, we're called to mourn for those who, who suffer for the sake of the gospel. We know that the early church suffered a lot of persecution, you know, from both Jews and Gentiles, and persecution continues to this day. The reality is that some people are being killed today around the globe because they dare to say the name of Jesus. Listen, persecution is not what we think we're facing in this country yet. Yet. Persecution is, because none of us have experienced persecution. Like, we haven't had the door kicked in here on a Sunday morning, and guys come in here with assault rifles and dressed in black and pulling people out, pulling me out, and then you never see me again. That's not happening here, but it's happening in other countries. We're not, you know, we've never had the door kicked in and all of us pulled out and then our church should be burned down to the ground. That has happened. That's persecution. We've never been having a small group or Bible study in your house for your house to get bombed because we're preaching the word of God in your house. That's persecution. Churches are being burnt in Egypt because of the hatred for those that follow Jesus. But even in our country, laws are being passed, right? Laws are being passed, which will eventually make it almost impossible to preach the Bible in its entirety. I say entirety because even even someone that is super lost can still preach some things of the Bible in, out of context, right? But in its entirety, because when we do, it will be considered hate speech, and then you'll be arrested for it. Our hearts should mourn for those who are suffering for Christ. Mourn for the pastors, for missionaries that go out 
that they've been removed from their families, they've been beaten, they've been afflicted, they've been hated, despised, all for the cause of Christ. We should be mourning that. So we see this morning that mourning alone, we've seen that mourning alone is not what is blessed by God, but it's mourning over our sins, mourning over other sins, and mourning over the sins uh, mourning over those who suffer, who suffer for Christ. In closing, what is the blessed mourner, though? They shall be comforted. It says, blessed though those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted with what? The comfort of Christ brings consolation to his people. You see, through Christ... There's a comfort of justification. Justification. Listen, listen. While our hearts break over sin, we then realize that our sin has been paid for. Like, I'm broken over my sin, but then I come to a realization that Christ, like, he, he has paid in full for my sins. And now, we who understood our guilt have been declared righteous through Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are comforted through advocacy. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to fall short. But when we do, don't we feel bad? We should feel bad. And when you feel bad, which is a good thing, it's called conviction, right? The problem is we cannot allow it to go from conviction to despair. Conviction is to ring the bell, something was wrong. You did something you were not supposed to do. And then from there, it should lead us to repentance. But sometimes when we hit this spot, we kind of, we and the devil's a liar. Oh, you done messed up now. No point of trying. Don't even go to church on Sunday. Don't even call nobody. You already messed up. It's no effort. You know, you're never going to, you know, don't even bother trying again. All the lies of the enemy. Oh, they're going to be talking about you. Everyone knows what you did. And the list goes on. It can't lead to despair. Oh, Jesus will never forgive you after all this. What? The Bible says that if anyone sins. By the way, it's important the first part of the verse, my little children. That's very important. Remember, we become children of God when we accept him. We are all created by God. But we become children of God when we surrender our lives to him. 
So please, please don't, you know, you know the saying in Philly or everywhere, like, oh, we are children of God. No, we're not all children of God. And that's, some people don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear, listen, you're going to get truth, okay? Some people don't like to hear that because that doesn't, it's not welcoming. But it's not that it's welcoming. It's like, but you can be a child of God. It's not exclusive. You may not be one now, but you want to be? Come on, you know what I mean? He says, my little children, so if anyone who has already accepted Christ does sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. That means Jesus is standing there, right there, and he's like, yo, Dad, look. What happened was, what happened was, Omar didn't mean to yell at that guy on the freeway. He's going through a hard day. He's going through some rough times. And what he does is Jesus almost pleads your case with the Father. He's a, he's, he's a lawyer. He's advocating for you. So when we are children of God and we mess up and the conviction of the Holy Spirit stirs, like at that moment you repent. And as you're repenting, Jesus is going before God the Father. He's like, listen, I know what it may look like, but give me a moment to explain. And he pleads your case. Does, not, does that not bring you comfort? Like, like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you mourn and you are broken over your sin, you are blessed. There's the comfort of deliverance. The, the life brings the pain of persecution, especially the believer. We, yet we have, promise of, we have the promise of deliverance from Christ. And this is the thing, either we, either we will be delivered in this life or we may suffer to death for him. But if we suffer unto death, we know that we still have not lost because our deliverance is certain. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why is death gain for Paul? Because death is deliverance from the perseverance of sin. The, the, death is the deliverance from the presence of sin and the entrance into the presence of Christ. Isn't that, that's the blessed hope. Like, like, like you know how we go through some stuff here and we're like, ah, oh, either, either he will deliver you out of it here and some people may not be delivered out of some things. You know, my sister was not delivered from cancer on this earth. But when she died, but when, but when she left this earth, she was delivered from that. I felt like I talked a whole long time this morning. I hope some people got it. At least if you leave here knowing that it's not just this funeral verse that many of us thought that it was, then at least you left with something. We need to be broken and mourning of the sin in our life 
I want us to ask a question to ourselves. Don't raise your hand, but let's be honest. Come on, be, can we be honest? Can we be honest with you? Say, say Pastor, I'm going to be honest with myself. All right. I want you to truly examine your heart. And I want you to ask yourself, have you ever mourned in the way that Christ is expressing here? We've mourned for all types of things. But have you mourned your sins? Have you realized how wrong certain things were? Like, almost, almost to bring you this grief of like, man, why? Why did I say this? Why did I do this? I can't believe this. Like, they, like have you mourned your sins? Have you grieved understanding that you have offended God? Has, has that, has that, have you grieved? Have you had sorrow because you know that the things that you've done have offended our Creator? And do you understand that for the things that we have done, we deserve hell? And if the answer is no, well, not really. Well, I don't know if I have. Listen. We want to pray with you today because we want to, want to give you an opportunity to leave that at the altar this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching. Jesus, thank you for teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. That thousands of years later, we are reading your words, learning from them, being guided by them. Father, today, look at each and every person that's here in this house, in this temple of yours. Look at the hearts. Look at their spirit, Father God. You know, Father God, right now, the condition of all their hearts. You know. Father, continue the work that you've begun. And thank you in advance, Lord, for the mighty things, the mighty testimonies, and the stories that come out from super, uh, experiencing your supernatural power. In Jesus' name, amen.